This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton in conjunction with Amwala Khalij, a leading private equity firm in the Middle East and North Africa, headquartered in Riyadh. Visit them at www.amwalakhalij.com. We're speaking today with Professor Balent Goldekin, a finance professor at Wharton, and Fadi Arbid, CEO of Amwa al-Khalij, a leading private equity firm in the Middle East. We're going to discuss the recent turmoil in the Middle East and what it means for business over the next couple of years. Thank you for joining us today, gentlemen, at Knowledge at Wharton. Uh, the events in the Middle East have held the world's attention with historical changes, politically and socially. The implications will vary by country, of course, but months from now, what do you think observers will look back and say about the effects on business in the MENA region, the, the Middle East and North African region in general. Uh, how, will, how, how will business be viewed internally and externally? So, uh, Bulen, perhaps we'll start with you. Sure. <clears throat> Steve, thank you. Uh, it's fun to be with you. What's happening in Middle East is certainly is, is a change, but it's not the same magnitude as it happened in Eastern Europe, in a way. In Eastern Europe, there's a political change as well as shift in the economic paradigm. So what we see in Middle East is a significant change or uh, signs of change on the political side. But the, on the economic side, the, the paradigm is still the same. These are more or less at different degrees market-oriented economies. So there will be continuity on the economies and the economic management and on the business side. So it's not going to be really a sudden shift and they, we, we won't see the same uh, change in GDP. I was in Poland at the time, and the GDP dropped by 33%, one-third. So we won't see such disruptions in the region. And I think the challenge in the region for policymakers would be how they will sort of open up the economies and the reforms. And there, is, there are demands on the political side, and how it is going to be uh, sort of handled on the economical side. And I meant two things by that. A, whether the policymakers will be distracted because the region needs further reforms, especially larger countries such as Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and others. And there are the small oil-producing countries and along the Gulf, and that's, that's a whole different story. So the question is, will these uh, countries be distracted from further economic reforms or are going to be speeded up? I think that is going to be the challenge. So on, as, a, as a matter of fact, what the, uh, if you were to make a forecast about the economics and business, it's about making a forecast about the political developments and how policymakers will react to it. My sort of take is in the short run, there will be volatility, uncertainty, but in the long run, I think things will settle down and probably there will be economic reforms to supplement provided that political reforms will go smoothly or less volatile. Fadi, uh, what's your perspective on this? Well, I, I think uh, Bolen did hit the nail on, on its head. I think to that point, I completely agree. I would actually even want to put a prelude for that, which is that these reforms have been, have been started actually a while back, I would say, at, at, at various paces uh, for various countries, for, for, for different countries. But, but I would say that only these events can only be a catalyst for, for speeding up for certain reforms, if, if not for necessity for the economy, but at least for the survival of many of the regimes. So I think you cannot, I would say, dissociate the political aspect of all these reforms, because in a way, if you see Saudi Arabia, what happened, 
uh, all this turmoil in the Middle East did uh, speed up at least a, a wave of, of some welfare initiatives, at least locally, that were very tangible as of the second day uh, of the, the noises. And, and, and although nothing much happened in Saudi or was expected to, but still the leaders were very cognizant of necessity for changes and for reforms and even started basically uh, some measures which actually would do a, I would say, it would have a very tangible and quick impact on, 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 the, on the economy and as much as they do trickle down the wealth to the, I would say, common people on the street and improve basically the GDP per capita from a proper perspective, i.e., I would say, reduce disparity between lower class and upper classes. Uh, so that money is well spent, it's trickled down to the masses, not to the privilege only, I would say, and, 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 and this has been observed. Now, unfortunately for certain countries, I would say, where the political aspect is going to take over the agenda, such as uh, what you're seeing now, what you're seeing now in, in, in Syria, and in Bahrain specifically, which is another GCC country, and has been witnessed to be one of the most stable countries in banking, specifically for the banking sector, is today actually in freeze mode. Unfortunately, and, and I would say the, 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 uh, the, uh, the events in Bahrain rejuvenated in a way Dubai, repositioned Dubai as the only financial, I would say, center that was uh, for the region where, where, whereby in the, in the past it was shared. And I don't think this will, uh, that's my humble opinion, that I don't think that Bahrain will regain its position anytime soon uh, unless drastic political uh, measures and, 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 and further stability. Uh, Syria would be a very different story and so on, but I would say that uh, all in all, you're definitely going to see some speeding up some reforms for those, uh, for those regimes that have already embarked in that. And uh, on the long run, you can be optimistic. On the short run, you might have disruption because of the political turmoil and eventually uh, some, I would say, security clashes and so on that you're witnessing here and there. But I think it can only be a positive one. Okay, thank you. Uh, I want to ask about oil prices also, uh, Professor Kultikin. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Could you give us your your take on what's happening? I know just this morning, uh, prices were were up once again after rising last week. Uh, uh, Texas prices were up to almost one hundred and thirteen dollars a barrel for uh, future prices, uh, and um, so every that's the. The biggest question, perhaps, for the region is what's going to happen to oil prices, and I'd like your view on that. Yeah. I mean, if I know exactly what's going to happen to oil prices, I'll be a very rich man, Steve. You know that in the short run, very, very difficult to predict. But my take on this is the following. If you look at the oil prices since 1970, you see these big spikes at time of there are some supply shocks due to oil embargo in 1973, second oil embargo about 78. As a matter of fact, prices in 73 were much higher in real terms than today. And then we see these occasional spikes, and these are all right after there was a supply disruption somewhere. And that is the reason that we see such uh, volatility right now. And in the long run, I don't think oil prices should be where they are today. The reason for that, uh, over time, supply curve in the oil business is, is elastic. And I know that uh, over time, as the rest of the world will use more oil and energy, so there will be consistent demand, but there will be time enough to respond to that. So my 
take right now is this volatility for the time being is due to the supply disruptions, particularly in Libya. And there is an uncertainty about Iran. Therefore, we see that is going to happen. But I don't think that oil prices will be at this level in the next few years. So um, you talked about the supply responding uh, as the demand increases, say, from some of the emerging markets like uh, China, for example. Um, and is that just the oil market responding? or I No, it's both happening. What, what happens uh, invariably, I mean, China, India, and the rest of the emerging world is just uh, we'll use more oil. And as the oil prices reach, I think, about $70 per barrel, and you see that alternative sources will come into uh, play, such as the shale oil in the United States and elsewhere. So there is, I think, supply of uh, sources of energy, but it's costly to extract it. So that's what's going to happen, provided that we don't have this uh, greenhouse effect and all that. Those are other externalities that are certainly beyond the scope right now. So, uh, and if you look at the prices right now between the gas and oil, there's such a big, wide difference. It shows that uh, that cannot last forever, right? So that's my sense. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be constant um, increase in, in the long run for the uh, demand for energy. And that's just going to put pressure on prices. But at the same time, supply of other sources will come into play. And that's my reading. And in the short run, yes, currently it's going to be volatile. And But I'm sure the supply so disruptions from Libya will be taken over by other uh, suppliers or producers in the region or elsewhere. Uh, Fadi, you're based in Saudi Arabia. What, what's your view and what is the view there? I think the long-term view is very, I would say, in line with, with what Professor Gultikin mentioned. Uh, the the outlook, I mean, one very good revealing indicator for Saudi Arabia is that how much it does set its government budget at and what is the expected oil price typically has, considering that it's one of the serious, uh, the main players actually in terms of the supply and controlling the, the outputs. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, the, the Saudi budget, if it, if it does tell you anything, is, it, it shows you that it has set that price typically at around and the most optimistic case, $70, $75 budget. So most of the time, uh, they, they expect on the long run the price to be around $75, and anything that comes above that number, which is the case now and has been the case for the past two to three years, would come as a surplus, uh, as, a surplus as a nice kind of sweetener to the uh, reserve, capital reserves of the, of the Central Bank in Saudi Arabia. Now, there are a couple of factors today that, that are, are, are different. Now, the geopolitical situation does add a lot of volatility and uncertainty. Libya is one of them. Uh, there is also the question with Iran, with uh, the, the political question of Iran, what, what, would you ne what would you do next? And Nigeria has been going through trouble. And I think more recently as well, you know, two things that typically affect oil prices, the political situation and the climate. And if you look at what happened as well recently in Japan, with the nuclear power uh, now being questioned, or at least uh, it will take some time to maybe shut down some of these reactors and, 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 and create new ones a bit more safe, that also might create further volatility that people are also talking about today. That being said, the Saudi government restated a few days ago that, you know, we expect the output to be at 9 million barrels a day. Uh, we don't expect it to go up much more. If need be, we will increase it. Uh, meaning that you know the elasticity of uh, of, of a price and and and, and uh, quantity and price actually equation will still hold because they do hold 
they do control uh, the supply side, and they still have a lot of leeway in terms of increasing their capacity and production capacity. So that being said, so the short, there's going to be a noise. On the short term, nobody knows how much, otherwise we would all be rich. Uh, but on the long run, I think uh, these prices probably will not be, will not be, uh, uh, that's on the supply side, at least on the demand side. Also, the growth of China as well, slowing down or not slowing down, that would be another question mark. So, but I mean, from a Saudi perspective, I think that, that would be my, my, my view as well. So, volatility on, on, the, on the short term and, and, and a bit more, uh, a bit more, I would say, smoothing out on the long run. Maybe not to the 70 levels, but maybe just short of the 100. Just to add one thing, Steve. What happens right now, the, the energy dependency is all-time high. So anytime there's a disruption, the volatility compared to, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago is much higher. And I think that's something that we'll observe, and given the geopolitical disruptions here and there. So the volatility will be there, but the long-term trend will be probably along the lines that I suggested. But Okay, thank you. Uh, Fadi, uh, you've... You've said that the Middle East and North Africa region, MENA, has been undergoing a two-speed recovery. Would you explain what you mean by that and the implications for the future? There are various ways of looking at the two-speed recovery, and, and that maybe that was put in the context what I said in the context of the crisis recovery. And, and the two-speed recovery, I would say today, I would say that the third layer, because it is also a way of splitting the, the world into like a... Uh, politically turmoil and non-politically and more stable countries. So, so that would also further, I would say, uh, uh, make that difference more acute. What I, what I was meaning, what I meant by that back then was, you know, after the crisis, you've seen uh, the state of the economy in many of these countries being affected by the, by the global the crisis. These countries had a uh, trashed capital market, and, and, and basically, whereas the uh, main street, the normal uh, I would say Joe on the street had not seen the specific impact of that crisis had he not been an investor in the capital market. And what you've seen is that a very slow recovery of that capital market, uh, although earnings of these companies have been record high uh, and GDP growth has been record high for Saudi Arabia. So, in the, so, so whilst you've had a very slow recovery of the local capital markets in this region, you've seen a, a, a further I would say, or, or, or continuous, if not accelerate, accelerated growth for the income of the companies and a better distribution, I would say, of, uh, of wealth and so on. So one thing that's been that struck a lot of people is like the Saudi market is expected to boom, and they didn't see the Saudi market. It's actually one of the worst performing markets in terms of like increase over the past three years or two years ever since the crisis. The Dow Jones has done much better than that, although you see much less growth for corporate America. So, I mean, this is exactly what was meant by the two-speed recovery. And I think moving forward, I think there would be great arbitrage opportunity in this region today because growth is very cheap. We did actually some analysis recently, some research, and we realized that the, the PEG ratio, the, the price-to-earning uh, to, to growth ratio, basically, is one of the lowest today is, is, is in the MENA region, specifically, I would say, in Saudi and certain countries. So you'd buy growth much cheaper here than you'd buy it in China or you'd buy it in India. And I think that would be a very telling data point. Okay, thank you. Let me just, with the couple of minutes we have left, ask each of you, uh, Professor Goldkin, maybe we'll start with you. What are the more, most important things for observers to look for going forward in order to get a sense of how the business environment will shake out 
following the many changes underway in the region? For example, what, what would be the key indicators for people to be looking at what would constitute positive signs, what would constitute negative signs? I think I'll approach, I'll leave the details to Fadi again, but my uh, sort of take again would be I will watch these countries carefully and look at the new leadership that'll emerge, especially in Egypt. Saudi Arabia, I think the regime is going to be very durable. Not necessarily stable, but it's going to be durable. Whereas places in Tunis, Egypt, and how they're going to sort of come up with a plan or a structure. And I think that's just going to set the stage for at least a decade or so to come. And the reason I said that, because my experience in Turkey, in a way, I mean, if you have some enlightened group or a leadership comes and set the stage on the economic uh, agenda, that sort of uh, put all your resources and energy in the right track. Otherwise, you start sort of losing time. And I think that's what I would watch very carefully. What's going to happen with the political leadership and how they're going to interpret and how they're going to a kind of a structure they're going to come up with. Especially, this is true for Tunis and, and Egypt, where they, we expect some changes. Saudis, I believe, will be durable, but the question is how forceful they're going to come up and, and it plans to tell the rest of the world and to their population that this is what they're going to do. And they, they have to mean that. So far, they were able to sort of really buy out the society, but it's clear that it's not going to be there anymore. And the Gulf states are a whole different story. And they, they have more flexibility because of this foreign labor and indigenous population much smaller. Syria is a whole, they were not in the equation anyhow. So I think we'll find out what's going to happen in, in Syria in the long run. And that's my take in the region. I would watch the leadership and see what they are thinking and planning and what kind of a credible story they're going to come up with for uh, economic reforms. Okay. Thank you. Fadi, and your view, please. Uh, quick, quickly said, I, I would say that, yes, the level of democratization, if you want to call it as such, or the speed up of reform, uh, embodied by speeding up the reforms and so on, will be, will be key to watch. I mean, how these governments behave once they're empowered, the newly appointed governments, I would say, if changes, because for those countries that will not change, actually, they will be, I, I would see a double penalty. Not only they will not benefit from a democratic way, but also they probably will be more economically, I would say, closed. Uh, and as Professor Gultek in Syria would only add to the equation if it is to open up, and if not, it's not even relevant because it has not been in the equation. If anything, it will increase the pie moving forward. So I think the level of the speed up, so democracy or, like I would say, reform changes, uh, will, be, will be key to watch post this uh, these wave. Now, from a more, I would say, quantitative perspective, I, I would watch a few things as, as a metric of, or yardstick of, of success for these changes. Uh, in Saudi Arabia specifically, I would be very uh, wary about the non-oil GDP growth, which is extremely important. That country has been dependent in the past for oil, and, and people do still do have the perception that this is the case. But actually, you would see that recently, over the past three or four years at least, the non-oil GDP has out, outgrown the, the oil-based GDP, which is an extremely positive indicator for a country that's very dependent on hydrocarbon reserves, number one. Number two, I think in, in countries that have been hit by political instability, a lot of people watch the stock market and, and what happens. And actually, Egypt was very telling because they had to close down the stock market for three months, almost a bit short, one day short of three months. 
and uh, eventually people expect ex Egypt is extremely dependent just by by way of background on FDIs and for a lot of foreign investors heavily exposed to the Saudis to the Egyptian stock market. And when basically the market reopened, yes, it did tank before the crisis because of the uncertainty. But when the market did reopen, well, the market held on, and actually you've seen a bit of increase of the, the, the Cairo stock exchange, and which was a very positive news. Basically, meaning yes, the change of regime can only be better. Strong demographic fundamentals. People are still rational vis-à-vis -vis the stock market, and I think that was a very pleasant surprise because people panicked uh, on, on on the Egyptian front. And the other one I would say is a much more is the much more also another macroeconomic data, if you want to may call it as such, which would be distribution of wealth. And I think GDP per capita is a very it doesn't reflect the accurate picture of, of the uh, of the masses and, and how, how they, the economic distribution of the wealth because GDP per capita is very highly dependent on oil. Uh, for example, in countries like the GCC countries, but moving forward, I would say that the purchasing power per capita and, 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 and bridging of the, this, the uh, economic distribution of, of that wealth. And you're seeing, I think, yeah, less poverty rate, and I think more people moving, moving up more uh, towards the, the, the middle classes as opposed to the uh, very poor, heavy, low class and very rich, I would say, upper class. So you're seeing a bit of reduction of that pyramid. And I think that's also very, very that's slow thing that you'd observe in the past, but I think the pace at which it is being observed today is, is, is quite interesting. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.